0: Welcome to the Honest EP Podcast. We are the podcast for health professionals and the wider community looking to explore diverse ideas in health, ask some hard questions, and have some honest conversations. My name is Archie. I'm an EP based on Sydney's Northern Beaches, and joining me as always is Allied Health Business Owner, Andrew. Andrew, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Very well. That was an exciting introduction. (laughs) I've got a little out there now. Once you you get the idea, and I I know it off by heart now, Uh, (laughs) who knows what's going to come out? I'll miss a couple of words every so often. Uh. I'll stuff up the sentence. That's fine. It's part that's it's all fun. part of it. People know I'm doing it live. <laughs> <laughs> right. What are we drinking today? We have the
1: heart, the heart pale ale. We actually have two beers. Yes. Um, one of them is non-alcoholic. Mm. So we are starting with the um, alcoholic one. Wonderful. Because that's more fun.
0: Crack that. <laughs> oh. So these are the second of uh, the, the third and fourth beers from Sarah Woodruff from... Um, Simply Stronger in Victoria. We loved her first ones from last week. Thank you very much. And we're going to try the second ones now. Sure are. So thank you very much again, Sarah. Uh, we'll let you know how we go. Initial thoughts? Yeah, once again, very good beer. It's definitely not as uh, strong or crazy as the first two ones. So these ones are in like a, a white can. Uh, with a bit of like pale green, limey green stuff on it. Whereas the ones we had last week were like dark, scary looking beers. Yeah. And they were dark and scary. Uh, (laughs) These ones aren't. No, they're not. It's just a pale ale. This Mm. is kind of a run of the mill. Although it's got a nice little bit of... A little bit of sourness almost. Mm. That's sourness. Do you reckon we should do a beer tasting course? So we know what to talk about.
1: I reckon we could absolutely expense that. Mm. That is a business. <laughs> this is a business.
0: That's a business expense. So, so what are we talking about? <laughs> Tax expenses. No. All right. expenses. <laughs> no, 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 we're not talking about business expenses. We are talking about scope of practice today. Um, we're mainly EP, but it may get a bit more general as well. But mainly from the point of view of an exercise physiologist. And talking about scope of practice. How did this come up? So... Every now and again, it pops up around
1: ESSA. Mm. Um, you know, you, you see it in Facebook groups. It's like people like trying to understand what our scope of practice is, like what what we can't do and what we can do. And mm. um, the, the reference point in all of those conversations tends to be a scope of practice. Like, mm. can I do this? Is it within my scope of practice? Mm. Uh, now, I don't know if anybody else got the email, but there is a bit of a... Conversation starting around Essa about, you know, is there any kind of potential for our scope of practice to change or evolve? Mm. Because I think the the initial one was written a little while ago, and we just kind of make sure that what is there is still relevant for what is happening today. And so that we kind of started chatting about, you know, what is a scope of practice and um, how it relates to what we should
0: or what we kind of shouldn't be doing. And yeah, and this came up about uh, as well that uh, last week there was some stuff coming up about CIRA guidelines as well. And I, I, there was one that was sent around to EPs uh, about putting in feedback around new guidelines around treating lower back pain within the work cover and CIRA setting. Um, and we there was also an email that was sent out to uh physio association <laughs> that was their kind of the APA's feedback to the physios and, and kind of call to action as well on that side of things so if you're a physio you probably would have got that email from the APA um and it was it was it was quite an interesting email uh that was uh, there was a lot of scope of practice kind of stuff written in there um that the the sira guidelines are kind of looking to move towards their guidelines for lower back pain being go and seek a uh, exercise rehabilitation provider, whether mm. that be a physio, a chiro, an osteo, or an EP, um, as your first point of contact, it it doesn't matter so much with the kind of the guidelines they were moving towards, mm. uh, and I think it brought up quite a bit good conversation.
1: I think it brought up some interesting conversation. Yeah, um, I think EPs were like, "Well, this is good. I think this is an opportunity." Wonderful, about the damn time. <laughs> <laughs> About damn tongue. <laughs> Table slap. Whereas physios, it's like, well, is that within their scope of practice?
2: Mm,
1: mm. Are they able to do those things? We do a lot of diagnosing mm. in what it is that we do. They can't do that. Mm. So should they? Yeah. And so these conversations have kind of happened around the
0: same time, it's which is interesting. front of mind for us at the moment. Mm. We thought we'd start by going on to ESSA. Yes, uh, and, <laughs> and screenshotting uh, what is it? The exercise biologist guidelines for uh, for our scope of practice. Uh, scope of practice. There yeah, go.
1: it's a short document.
0: <laughs> that was the first thing that struck
1: me. <laughs> I've been I've been an EP for a little while now. <laughs> I think this is maybe the first time I've looked at how scope yeah. of practice. Good place to um, start. It was like four pages. Yeah, and the first page
0: was a title page. <laughs> so, <laughs> the table of contents. For four pages <laughs> So that was interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, me personally, I've never looked at this before for the amount of time that we talk about scope practice and what's within it. never read this document before. So well, why don't we highlight the main points from it? well there's there's a couple of things, yeah um.
1: It's very general
2: mm.
1: right it's It's not very specific, and I, and I suppose the scope of practice should probably be more general because you don't want to dictating absolutely um, specifics. but th- there's definitely a bit of room for interpretation yeah in here. Um, the the words that are used in here are uh, quite general, yeah um, you know, things like. Enhance and maintain function and quality of life.
0: Yeah. Improve and maintain health status.
1: Educate and advise about health and well-being.
0: Coach and motivate to increase engagement and self-efficacy. Prevent decline of health status. Mm. Screen assess, measure capacity and function. Uh, and, and, And look, what's not mentioned in any of these words is the first word in EP which is exercise. <laughs> um, the The only dot point that does really measure, uh, or say you should be doing exercise is one in the middle there. And it's, you know, prescribe, deliver, adapt, evaluate movement, physical activity, exercise-based interventions to, um, you know, enhance and maintain functional quality of life, mm. facilitate recovery, promote re-enablement and maximize independence. But there's eight other dot points there uh, that are just kind of general guidelines mm. for providing health, Advice mm. and uh, guiding or coaching people through whatever concerns or challenges they've presented with. Mm. What's your What are your main takeaways from from reading those guidelines within our ESSA scope of practice? I think that the first
1: thing is there. There is a, a section in this that talks about almost the ability to expand a scope of practice, right? Mm. And and what I mean by that is through professional development, you can kind of extend your scope of practice. Mm. So if you have done specialized training in a particular area, well, you can deliver a sort of a different level of service.
0: So it says that in there. That through continuing professional development, you can expand mm. your, your scope of practice. Great. That's great news. Mm. Okay. So I guess there are a couple situations where uh, that could be beneficial. Mm. Or that can become an interesting conversation. And I know it, it always comes up for EP specifically, but also some other physical therapists as well in a couple areas where people go, hey, don't do that. Uh, that's out of your scope. And, and to me, uh, there are kind of three main areas. Um, the first one, as an EP, the first one for me is the, uh, the physical therapist side of it. So, diagnosis and doing hands-on treatment. People saying, hey, that's out of your scope, don't do that. I'm mm. be okay, yeah. yeah. Um, and by the way, this is not me putting my uh, bias or, or opinion on it yet. I'm just saying what I hear the most are the three areas. The second one being uh, psychosocial area. So, psychotherapy or a psychologist's job or a, or a counselor's job or that sort of thing and going, hey, it's not your job to uh, provide people uh, support to, uh, in, with their mental health. Yeah. Um, and the third one being nutritional advice. So, don't tell people what to eat. Don't tell people what not to eat. Mm. Uh, don't give people supplements. mm Mm. Don't inject people's steroids. <laughs> like, why not? No, i <laughs> <laughs> um, Steroids are yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah. I feel like those are the main three areas there yep. that we hear the most. Yeah. Why don't we dive into these a little bit yep. um, and, and provide some, not guidance, not opinions, but just kind of explore the different areas within that mm. um, that people should consider before they go into conversations like this and perhaps uh, before they... Uh, go and jump on someone's back or um, mm. or if someone jumps on them, what they can talk about. Mm. Or if they should go and jump on someone's back yeah. <laughs> to talk about. Um, should we start with the physical therapy side? Yep. Do, as an EP, you've been an EP for t- 12? I thought you we were going to say 20. No. Yes, something like that. A little while. <laughs> A little while. Have there been moments when you've wanted to diagnose people? Well, what what is a diagnosis? Great question. Like, it should be you, a like a something that leads to a uh, treatment plan,
1: right? For me, exactly. Um, that doesn't necessarily involve doing special tests. That no. doesn't necessarily involve putting your hands on people.
0: No.
1: Um, you can diagnose somebody with tight hamstrings mm. just by asking them to bend forward, mm. right? I'm simplifying, but you, you get my point, Yeah, we point, get the idea. Right? Yeah. Um, So I, I think we do that anyway, mm. right? We, we look for what might be contributing to the symptoms that somebody is presenting with and we try and put some sort of a, a tag on that. Yeah. Um, now, that's not necessarily doing special tests or mm. anything like that. That can just be mm. very simply mm. looking at, and listening to the, mm. the
0: symptoms that people are mm. reporting. To me, tests, whatever the tests are, should be there to rule out red flags, rule out things that should um, basically tell you to not go ahead with treatment mm-hmm. uh, or investigate further through other methods or refer on. Uh, but after you've ruled out that, then the, the actual name of the diagnosis normally does not really affect what I do. I'm normally treating the human attached to the body part mm. and if they're coming in for a, uh, a condition or a presentation that's presented with symptoms of pain or discomfort, well, I'm working with the person in pain or discomfort and the, to me an important part of this and this will probably come later as well is that we are always working within a biopsychosocial framework. It's not. Sometimes it's not when they just have chronic pain, or when their pain has been going on for three months. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's it's always. We are always working within that framework. So pain experience is always a whole, uh, or always within a biopsychosocial framework. So within that, for me, uh, comes the thing that the when I'm treating a person in pain, my my treatment is not determined by a specific diagnosis so there might be five different shoulder diagnoses that someone might present to from their doctor who their doctor can diagnose uh shoulder conditions apparently Mm. but you know what are their doctor's special tests doing they're doing open can empty can and like a resisted external rotation and touching and feeling around and going does that hurt Oh, there it is. How painful out of 10 is that one? Mm. 10. Oh, well, <laughs> it's got to be this part of the rotator cuff then. Yeah. Um, look, I'm probably going to do similar things. I'm probably going to work with what they're able to do at a, com- like a manageable level of discomfort and then build them back to meaningful activities. That doesn't really change once I've ruled out uh, the, the super serious pathologies. Mm. So to me, the diagnosis doesn't, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's not something I feel like I need to do. Mm. Um, so when people, uh, EPs go, uh, I can't diagnose, it sucks. Mm. Or uh, another profession goes, ah, but we get to diagnose. I kind of go, well, that doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like that you, you're going to do that in your first half hour and then after the first half hour of knowing the person, wh- when does that continue to matter? Mm. Maybe a small percentage of the time. But the vast majority of time, I, the question I would ask is, wh- when d- is that going to change what you do?
2: Mm.
0: Your, your thoughts on my little rant there. <laughs> I, I enjoyed
1: that. I was sitting <laughs> back and, and absorbing it. I think it, I think it's very true. I, I don't think that a specific diagnosis would change a, a generalized treatment for...
0: Most things. Most things. Yeah.
1: Um I agree with you on the red flags thing. Like mm. there, there, are, there are things that we need to rule out. Mm. And I think this is why CIRA is promoting more of a, mm. uh, uh, an opportunity to refer to practitioners that are leading into a more evidence-based approach to treatment mm. as opposed to dictating that your first port of call must be a physiotherapist because they are seeing that well, people are getting better. Faster, better outcomes. By, yeah, I was going to say referral to better practitioners. It's not better practitioners; it's just practitioners that are adopting more yeah. more modern approaches.
0: Absolutely, and that can be any practitioner. I, I don't think you have to be limited by the the name of your university degree qualification. Mm. Surely, once you're you've been practicing for three plus years. You know, how much of your knowledge is just uni-based by then? So ideally, you would have replaced a lot of that uni-based, outdated uni-based knowledge with a lot of, um, you know, continuing professional development mm. knowledge and experience mm. uh, that you've learned. Mm. and that is probably going to be more relevant. So, I think that's a good thing that they're saying, hey, go to a practitioner that's going to follow good guidelines. Maybe they give you a diagnosis and then play on. Mm. In terms of of practice, and this is an EP-specific question, because I know that we've talked about this before on here as well with professional development, and you talking about you wanting to be able to do more hands-on treatment mm. early in your EP days because you wanted more tools. Mm. Now, more years removed from that, of, of having all the tools in the tool bag, mm. do you think that that having more tools as an EP, for like and specifically hands-on treatment tools, uh, is is something that EP should try and expand their scope of practice into? I th-
1: I think it depends on the type of people or the type of conditions that you want to be working mm. with, right? So the context behind my change in direction was that I started working with a lot of CrossFitters Mm. and CrossFitters like to CrossFit. And if you can get them back in the gym faster, everybody wins. So going and doing a remedial massage course and then doing an ART course meant that I thought at the time I could get people back faster because I could put my hands on them. Um, Did that work? I don't know. Um, would I recommend people doing that? It depends on the direction that you want to go. Mm. Uh, on reflection, and and perhaps a, a, a parallel line there was for, for many years, we would do like the functional movement screen and the mm. selective functional movement assessment, which were fine,
0: right? They... they Look how I lunge. Look how yeah, I... Yeah, look s- at the, the things.
1: Yeah. Um, is it perfect? No, oh, goddamn. Yeah. Um, knowing about that now, and and so this is this is the, the the quandary that I play backwards and forwards in my head, is I I know that those things are not like hundred percent true, mm. right? But understanding them and being able to talk about those things with the clients that I would see, I think there's use there. Because kind of play it out a little bit. So if I hurt my elbow doing, I don't know, pull-ups, um, and I go on YouTube and I go, my elbow hurts. Why? Um, and you, you see Kelly Starrett and you see these guys talking about...
0: The supple leopard.
1: The supple leopard. Uh, you see them talking about, you know, trigger points and and you need to floss yeah, your and, shit. And and, and this... And then the the client is sitting there. Bloss your teeth. Plus <laughs> your teeth. Bloss your, <laughs> bloss your, your what are they called? Your, bloss elbows. your elbows yeah. And you need to get a ball and rub it against yeah. your elbow, right? And and the, the client is sitting there talking about this to you, mm. the EP. And I I feel like there's some value in understanding that. Oh, absolutely. So that you can you can talk to them about what is actually going on. And if, like if you feel like rubbing a ball is against your Elbow is going to help. Great. Keep doing that. But that's probably not what is wrong with you. You don't have a absence of ball. Maybe you do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, diagnosis. Yeah. You, you have a sore elbow. Yeah. Um, and so I, f- I, f- I know, again to your question, I know that those things are flawed. But I also know that being able to understand them helps with clients?
0: On multiple levels, right? Having an understanding of a client's experience will help you build rapport, help you build trust and then they'll also go, oh yes, Andrew actually understands what I've been going through and can talk to me on my level of understanding about this thing. So that'll be an amazing advantage to have uh, and I'll probably um, add a little bit to your to your placebo recipe as well if mm, you're to have a bit of that as well. What I'd add to the hands-on therapy thing is, you know, it's definitely not out of scope of practice to um, do passive range of motion stuff. So, moving people's limbs around, Mm. you know, you're not doing manipulations. No, no. You haven't been trained Mm. to do that. Uh, But, you know, you're definitely able to help people do mobile, like mobilize not mobilizations either. Oh God, there's so many like buzzwords you've got to avoid. (laughs) Fuck. Move people's limbs around and stretch muscles and move muscles and move limbs through range of motions that they have passively or actively. Uh, There's also nothing against using a trigger ball to help people do some, you know, self-massage or using a foam roller. So, you know, if you really feel like you need more than that I'd, I'd just ask yourselves like, well, what is the most beneficial stuff that I could be doing in my 15, 30, 45, 60 minutes I've got with this client, as an active health prat- practitioner, mm. as an active therapy person? Uh, and is it spending more time doing the things that someone can do independently with a bit of guidance from you? Mm. So if someone really wants the hands-on therapy. Can you help them and can you provide them what they need with a little bit of teaching around how to use a lacrosse ball or a, you know, trigger ball or a foam roller or some, you know, band assisted stretching or something. Is that going to do the job if that meets their needs and expectations? Perfect. Now you don't have to spend any more of your time doing it. So you can do the stuff that you trained in originally and that you, well, ideally you enjoy doing because you chose to be an exercise physiologist. If that's not enough for them, what a great opportunity to build a referral network with someone who does like doing that with people and wants to do that all day. And is probably better than you at it as well because mm. they do it every day. Mm-hmm. It's like I have chiros I refer to when people want someone to look at their neck and look at their back and look at their hips because I, I don't want to spend 15, half an hour with someone on a bed. Mm. Yeah, that was one of the main reasons I chose to be an EP is because I did not want to be have someone lying there while I did things to them. I wanted to be guiding and coaching people through doing things for themselves. Mm. And now some people love that they have the opportunity to use their hands to make an impact on someone's uh, symptoms and health, which is amazing. So yeah, network with those people mm. and meet them so that you can provide them really good care as a team what an amazing opportunity mm. so just ask yourself like, can, first can I provide them enough with the self hands-on therapy stuff and build some independence and some autonomy over their own health and their own symptoms which is really really valuable uh, if not still okay find someone who uses the same narratives as you narratives as you and work with them what a great opportunity absolutely Andrew, anything to add to the hands-on therapy topic there before we move along?
2: No, I think that's good. I think you've nailed it.
0: Should we move on to nutrition? Yeah. Such a fucking tough area.
1: It's... Fu- oh, we, we have dietitians as part of our team Yeah. Um, here at Rebound. It is a fucking tough job
0: because
1: oh. it's a very, very difficult sell to clients when all I'm generalizing, but all they fucking want, give me, give me the quick fix, give me the supplement, give me the answer, give me like the five quick steps that I can take to fix my diabetes, cure my IBS, um, you know, lose 50 kilos, whatever it is. And the evidence-based, um, approach is just it's eat never fun. sensibly it's never fun eat eat a variety yeah my wife is probably going to listen to this and give me shit when i get home <laughs> but that's that's the answer right um despite that they went to university and studied just as fucking hard as we did mm. to be able to deliver that in a way that is going to motivate mm. and educate people about mm. what is going on with their condition mm. so that and and they're referencing oftentimes, you know, blood panels and things like this to make sure that it is the evidence-based approach mm. to improving somebody's condition with mm. nutrition mm. the the looking on Instagram and finding a reel that says, oh, look, exogenous ketones helped this person get a mm-hmm. six-pack. It's like, you can take that and you can fucking shove that up your ass because you are not qualified <laughs> to do that, mm. right? I, I, the, the comment that we made previously about scope of practice was that you can extend your scope of practice if you do like credentialed courses that mm. enable you to, to do it in mm. a educated and sustainable way so do that if you want to be providing like not nutritional um, not nutritional guidance but just like some tips or um, have a conversation with somebody about their nutrition like do a proper course, mm. upskill yourself so that you can have a proper conversation, not just what some dickhead has said on TikTok is yeah. the, the appropriate thing to do. Yeah,
0: Even if like you're, you're pretty sure that what the dickhead on TikTok said is, is correct, just think about like, have you actually gone and verified any of that information, taken it past um, an actual qualified nutritionist or dietitian? Or looked at the research yourself, because if you haven't, don't go fuck anywhere near giving that mm. advice to someone else. Sure, give it to yourself, <laughs> but like, don't give it to someone else, no. especially someone who's paying for your uh, for your service. We'll, we'll pause here because I I have opened the other beer, and you may have you may have uh, heard it on the mics. Uh, but this is a non-alcoholic beer that we are drinking here. It sure is. It is called the Mind Your Head. Non-alcoholic XPA. It's from Hop Nation Brewing Co. Uh, It's 0.5% alcohol. So they lied. It is alcoholic. (laughs) Hooray. Um, Melon-based brewing company specializing in the production of small batch beers. Um, But this will give you a refreshing happy hit without a headache, apparently. Yes. How's it taste? It's interesting. Yeah. It is. I smell that. What is that? Pear? Do you smell pear? It smells like a. Um, uh, most people would have had a Stonerwood Pacific Ale before. It smells a little bit like that, which is just very fruity mm. Pacific Ale. Um, doesn't taste super beery, does it? It does not taste super beery. But I don't know if that's because we've come from a beer. And gone to a non-beer beer. Uh, I don't mind it as a drink. No, I, I, we should drink these all day. I think
1: this would be good. This is that's uh,
0: nutritional advice for you. There you go. Go off alcohol. <laughs> drink the zero point five <laughs> percent. I heard on a podcast. <laughs> you should have non-alcoholic beers. You should. Yeah. Nutritional guidelines. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think. Okay, so back on the nutrition topic if i even just look at the screenshot of what we took from s's scope of practice for eps and you change the words that mention physical activity or exercise or movement to nutrition or food advice like they can do a lot you know, nutritionists and well dietitians specifically can can do a lot and they can do a lot on a high level Like coach, motivate, increase engagement, self-efficacy in regards to providing this food advice is not just telling people, eat more of this, eat less of that. Mm. And if that is the level of advice that you can give, eat more of this, eat less of that, just, just think about, can this person be getting better advice from another source?
1: Well, what, what would happen if, if they did end up going and seeing a dietitian and then they've heard conflicting advice from, mm. from somebody else? It, it mm. just adds to the
0: confusion mm. for those people. Think about everybody's had that client who comes in and you go, So, what's your understanding of your condition? And it's like, Oh, well, this guy I see at the gym, he works out the same time as me, said that um, I've got this slip disc. And it's literally about to fall out of the back of my body, uh, if I even bend my spine, you know, five degrees forward. So I just don't bend my spine forward anymore. And you go, Fuck. Why are you listening to advice from some random guy you see at mm. the gym? Don't like, do you want to be that person mm. in terms of nutrition? Mm. Where someone eventually goes to see a dietitian after they've been fucked around by the social medias, the TikToks, the Instagrams, hopefully not you as a physical therapist. uh, And then go to a dietitian and they've got all of these conflicting messages and advice. And the dietitian is like, shit. Now, instead of just being able to provide some guidance to this person, I have to unpack all these unhelpful beliefs, all these unhelpful habits that they've picked up over the last 10 years and then build from the ground up. Mm. But that's going to delay the process of actually getting better
2: oh mm.
0: don't be that person don't be that person so look I okay here's a question for you if someone says uh, and you're an EP in this situation Andrew, <laughs> um, Andrew uh, and you ask oh you know, what do you drinking a your day and I say six liters of Coca-Cola what advice would you be <laughs> happy giving me there that you think is well within your scope Uh, that's
1: a, that's a, that's a very leading question. (laughs) Uh, well, I know enough about nutrition Mm. to know that drinking six liters of Coke a day is probably not going to help with your health outcomes. Very good. So I would say, how about we, how about we try maybe three liters of Coke and maybe top it up with some water? Mm. How would that sound?
0: Yeah. So some basic portion control and some basic that sounds excessive Mm. kind of information and maybe some questions um, that ask someone uh, to inquire about their their behaviors a little bit like, oh, and how do you think that affects your health? You know, and just, you know, a bit of motivational interviewing never hurt anyone. Mm. Uh, That's totally fine. Well within your scope. Mm -hmm. If someone then came to you and said, uh, so I have this rare kidney disease. Uh, And uh, I I looked up online and they said I could take this certain supplement. Do you think I should take this supplement? You fucking know I should. You should buy it from me,
1: in (laughs) fact, because I can get it for you. No. No, 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 of course not. It'd be... Again, you could apply some motivational interviewing in that context and, Mm. and understand, okay, well, have you tried anything before? How is this impacting you? Um, do you think this is going to be the solution that helps?
0: What do you think, yeah, in this? What do you think will help in this situation?
1: But ultimately, leading that question towards a, a source that has got the qualifications to be able to deliver yeah. that, that expertise. Mm. So I think what, you know, I think the, the interest in your health is great. I think making sure that you are choosing the right supplements is something that a dietitian can help you with. So if this is something that is, you know, you wanna, you wanna invest your money and your time and your effort into, make sure you're doing it right. Maybe go and have a chat with this person down the road.
0: Yeah. I think what is definitely within our scope of practice in regards to anything is leading people to the best source of information. And if that is you, and you can honestly look at yourself and go, yes, I'm a good source of information on this topic, great. Provide some information. If you are not, help that person or help guide that person to a good source of information and away from bad sources of information. Mm. Along that may require you to weigh up some pros and cons with them, ask them to think about their health and think about uh, how they can be improving it and maybe how they can be negatively affecting it with different decisions. But that is not putting answers in people's brains necessarily. Mm. So you can do a lot by just asking someone questions themselves and do a little introspection. Mm. Is introspection a word? It is now. Yeah, fuck yeah. I like that (laughs) word. I adding that onto my (laughs) qualifications. Absolutely. Introspection. (laughs) Um, Yeah, look, on on this nutrition topic, you know, I, I see a lot of shit on Instagram. Um, I saw this saw this thing recently, that uh, <laughs> I'm still not fully sure <laughs> where 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 the advice is coming from, but I but I got sucked down a deep rabbit hole of reels with this one guy because he was just so convincing, so convincing that I was like, wow, maybe he's right, maybe he's right, <laughs> and all he eats is red meat, raw dairy, uh, fruit. Honey and organs organs yeah organs excellent like livers and, mm. and that kind of stuff. That's mm. it. That's it and And he just every video he's just going uh, like hey, this is me having breakfast. I'm having beef burgers for breakfast <laughs> and what am I having with my beef burgers? Some organs on the side and then I might even have some raw honey next to that. <laughs> And that's my breakfast. For lunch I'm going to have some more beef. <laughs> and I'm going to have a banana. <laughs> and I'm to, I was like this is great. It's really really good Instagram <laughs> yeah. and he's got millions of followers. Mm. Millions of followers. He's very convincing. Um probably probably not great nutritional advice for 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 the everyday person. Mm. I mean, if you're a healthy person you, you may be able to go and try that on yourself and, and see what happens and see how you go. Probably get some blood tests before and after. Uh, just just mm. see what happens. Mm. Um, but there's lots of that out there. Mm. Lots of that out there. So probably don't add to that. No. Probably don't. Please don't. Yeah. I also heard a thing called the potato diet. We had a client come in one time and they uh, they said, so I've a new diet. I was like, hey, what's that? It's called a potato diet. I was like, oh. Excellent. Let me guess. They're <laughs> <laughs> like, yep, yeah, just potatoes. I was right. like, okay. <laughs> All right, cool. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to talk to someone about it? It's not me. Yeah. I was, I'm pretty sure I'm a good source of information here, but uh, <laughs> I can't be fucked no, no. to talk to you about this no. one. So yeah. I'll send you on. Yeah. Mm. Andrew, we've got one more topic here. Uh, and this one's quite a hard topic. I don't know if there is a perfect answer here either. But we're talking about uh, psychological treatment. Mm. People presenting with mental health, uh, and as a physical therapist, what is within your scope? It's oh,
1: very difficult. Very difficult. This one to try to try and draw a line here and say what is appropriate and what's not. Oh, it's. There there are so many factors.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um,
0: I think where I would start is... Every physical therapist should upskill... In an understanding of psychologically informed practice. They should have an understanding of the different principles... That trained professionals like psychologists uh, use. Not to use them themselves... But to be aware of the principles mm. uh, and aware of different therapies that uh, may be beneficial for people so that they can refer people in the right direction mm. uh, and they can also maybe identify um, some risk factors that would require oh, I can't help this person anymore. Mm. They're no longer just saying that they're sad they can't do squats. Yeah, They're maybe they're talking about some more serious things that mm. you cannot help with. Mm. What are some, Why don't we start with what are some things that are definitely uh, within scope as a physical therapist? And we'll start with the definite things and then maybe we leave a kind of a blurry area of, of things in the middle mm. that we're not sure about. Mm. And then things on the other end of the scale as well of things that are definitely not... Mm. In our scope of practice as well, mm. what what would you say is definitely within uh, physical therapy's scope of practice in terms of psych- psychologically informed practice?
1: Well, we we know that stress plays a, a big mm. role in in the the exacerbation or the the root of yeah symptoms, mm. right? Um, so i I think we can have a very surface level conversation with people about some stress management techniques uh things that people could try and implement
0: um and reflect on themselves sure things as simple as breathing techniques relaxation techniques sleep hygiene Mm -hmm. these are all you know basic non-harmful things that um, are very very unlikely to uh, cause any harm. Yep, and just general good healthy habits. Yep. Uh, I got a whoop. Oh yeah, cool. For my for my birthday. So, what does that help you do?
1: Well, it helps look at my my stress and my strain, mm. and so it can it can give me some. I, I presume, um, okay feedback on. Yeah, like you said before about how I slept last night, what my stress levels are. Yeah, it's got the heart rate variability on there, so I can personally reflect. And and if I was like a client coming to see you, I could show you my. Oh, here's my data from how I slept last night. Um, Mm. What, like, what could I do to improve? Yeah, and again, like, very fundamental. Guidance on, on what people could do. Absolutely. Would be fine.
0: Yeah. I think once again, this takes into account that anyone that presents to you, you should be treating the whole human and not just uh, the knee, the joint or the diabetes mm. that they're presenting with. Uh, and sometimes, uh, well, all the time, what falls into that is communicating with the client well. Mm. So that falls into listening effectively, asking good questions, uh, maybe going through some motivational interviewing principles with them and talking about behavior change Mm. and potentially um, looking at how uh, potential behaviors may be affected by some of the things that they think and they feel. Mm. You know, Mm. you're not necessarily doing CBT with them but you know some of their behaviors are exercise or lack of exercise mm. lack of movement, lack of sleep lack of general physical activity that is or lack of work, these are things that well you need to address with this person if their goals are around returning to exercise or mm. returning to work in a work cover setting uh, and a good way to treat that whole human is to understand what do they think about these behaviours and their symptoms mm. and the reasons for why they are in the position they are and how do they feel about that. Mm. And because they're frustrated, they are doing less exercise and they are seeking or, or trying all these other act things. So, how can you help this person? Mm. That's well within your scope. Absolutely. But these As are things that you don't learn at uni. No, no. gotta. No. You have to go and learn about these things you have to go and learn about cbt you have to go and learn about motivational interviewing Mm -hmm. and some unis now are are doing um some introductory principles of it but that you don't get enough practice not with real humans Mm. and you're learning from uni professors who are very very smart but they often cover a wide range of things whereas if you go and do a cbd uh not cbd Uh, could do that too if you go into CBD (laughs) you'll know everything (laughs) or you'll think you will Um, if you go into a CPD course uh, from someone who specializes in those areas that's super useful Mm. what a great way to upskill and provide more value to your client
1: as we kind of move on 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 this spectrum I have a question for you so we, we get EPCs coming through right and they might be referred for their type 2 diabetes or their hypertension or whatever. Uh, and you kind of look through the list of conditions that they've got and you see anxiety, depression somewhere down somewhere down the bottom. What do you do with that information? Do you bring that up in a, in a consult with someone?
0: Rarely. Rarely. If they bring it up openly and it's not prompted by me, I can ask them, is that something you'd like to talk about? Uh, if they say yes, maybe they'll, I'll ask some open-ended questions that'll just get them to provide me with some information. But I'm more looking at like, so how does that affect this activity? Or how does that affect this for you? Um, and, and I'm not delving into it more than that. Mm. I'm more trying to find out how that may affect my treatment because my treatment is going to involve movement, exercise, behavior change, those kind of areas there. Uh, And if those uh, conditions are going to affect that, I'd like to know about it, but Mm. I'm not going to probe if they don't want to talk about it. Mm. That's not my job Mm -hmm. to do. If they want to talk about it, great. If they don't, cool. I've got that knowledge that it was on their referral Mm -hmm. and maybe that's something that I acknowledge as, maybe this will be uh, an underlying barrier or an underlying something that I need to be aware of when I am talking with them, providing mm. them with guidance and coaching them through a the management plan. Mm-hmm. That's probably where I would yeah. leave it there. Um, but it is really up to them if they want to talk about it or not. Uh, and I give them the space to talk. There's nothing wrong with listening. Mm. You know, our, Nothing in our scope of practice says you can't listen to a client. I'm definitely not going to tell them to shut up. If they go, whoa, 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 do, do, don't talk mm. about your mental health. Sush, shush, shush.
2: Yeah.
0: Don't say that. It's like, well, hold up. It's like, how's that going to go down? Mm. It's like you are trying to like burn the bridge you're building with them. Like, That's not a good idea. Nothing in listening says you're providing guidance to them, mm. but maybe you're providing really nice support that you're a safe space. They can mention some things to you and... Uh, you can just empathize. Mm. That's fine. Mm. And you can also empathize and listen to someone while you're doing exercise. Yeah, you can. Sometimes what I've found, uh, and this happens quite often, is the regularity that a lot of people see us, um, and the comfort they feel by doing something else allows them to talk with you and say things that maybe they wouldn't say if they're sitting down face to face with someone who's asking them about their feelings if they're sitting on a bike and getting a bit of a sweat or doing some training lifting some weights maybe they're going to be more likely to go oh I've been feeling really shit lately Mm. and then you have a choice there you Mm. can either go oh yeah let's not talk about that Mm. let's go do some squats or you can go, oh, why are you feeling shit? Mm. You have a choice there. And number two, I don't think is wrong to ask someone questions, mm. but you do not need to give advice necessarily No, no. If, you, if it's outside of your scope.
2: Yep.
0: So I think that's where the limit is there, mm. that you can listen, you can empathize. And then once again, the nutritional advice, You can send someone in the right direction. You can ask them, do you feel like you need more support in this area? Do you feel like you you want to talk to someone uh, with more expertise who can help you? Mm. I know some people. Mm. And once again, know people Mm. in that area who can help people and then go from there. Mm -hmm. They'll probably really appreciate that you listen to them. Your thoughts? 100%
1: 100% agree. 100% agree. It you can you can ask ask questions and listen, um, because they might not have those people in their lives that are asking them those questions, or they don't feel that they've got the ability to to vocalise what's going on in their head, and it might not be significant. Mm. In the sense that it's it's severe, but it might just be like you are the person that they want to talk about these things at. Mm. Um, be that person.
0: Yeah, great. Um, Maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to anyone else at that time.
2: Maybe
1: not. When if if things were to go a little step further, then like you said, you know what is kind of appropriate. You are not giving advice, and you know if somebody is not improving, they're saying the same thing consistently, uh, They or it's, it's worsening, great. Let's go and find
0: you a person that can
1: help work through these things with
0: you. Mm. If they ask you, can you help me with this or can you give me some advice here? You're probably going to know that you don't feel comfortable and that's completely fine to acknowledge with the mm. person. It's like, hey, I don't feel comfortable. Um, providing you advice in this area or guidance in this area, can I um, recommend someone who I really trust who can give you some good advice? Mm. Yeah, that's a good way to go around it. Mm. And then you won't feel yucky at all and they'll be really appreciative. What I think you don't want to do is be afraid of seeing anyone who has any mental health background mm. because well i mean, first off straight away you're probably um, denying maybe 30 to 40% of all clients who might walk in the door at some point in their lives mm. because everybody well not everybody sorry a very large percentage of people will experience mental health issues at some point in their life and for you to go oh i don't do with mental health it's like, well, okay, well, who who do you want to see? Mm. <laughs> just healthy, like, you know, just the other half of the population? Mm. Okay, have fun with that. Mm. Yeah. It's so your job to be aware, have an understanding, have an understanding of what can help, mm. uh, what basic, simple guidance you can provide people, um, for self management, but then know when proper professional guidance is um is is warranted.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if, if you offer someone uh, guidance, sorry, you don't offer them guidance. If you offer um, to uh, uh, recommend someone who can give them guidance and they say no, they just say, that's okay. Let me know if you do.
2: Mm.
0: Keep that door open. Keep that bridge open so if they do change their mind, you don't go, ah, oh, what? So you do now? It's mm. like go, great. That's so good. So it's a book I've been uh, listening to recently called How to Have Impossible Conversations. Mm. Have you read it? No. It's a good, good book. It's on your Audible. Is it? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> That's what I'm listening to. Uh, um, but one of the things is Bill Golden Bridges. And by Golden Bridges, it's, uh, he's talking about uh, the concept of allowing someone the space to change their mind safely so that if you do uh, manage to convince them that what they were thinking was wrong don't then judge them Mm. for that go like give them a golden bridge and give them a safe path to then go oh yeah I actually do think you are right and Mm. make that a safe space for them to do that I feel like that could be a a good book review for us to do do. I I think so I
1: think that principle could apply in a lot of Settings. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, it's interesting. Uh, we're going a bit off topic here, but That's I fine. feel like it's, it's becoming more and more difficult to change your mind mm. on things. Mm. Um, and if you were to you know, produce some content on social media, it's almost, it, it
0: becomes difficult to walk back a position. Mm. Um, but I think part of that is because on social media especially, part of what grabs attention is being really divisive mm. and is being really opinionated. So even if people, maybe they know deep down that they are wrong, or they should change sides on on some kind of topic, they go, oh, well, I get a lot of engagement if I just keep going down this path because then people keep saying on my post, no, you're an mm. idiot, fuck you, mm. that kind of thing. And they go, great, more engagement, yeah. lovely, more <laughs> followers, sell my course, very good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're right. I think it is becoming harder to change your mind. And part of that is because people aren't building all of bridges and giving people space to change their minds safely. Mm. That's a very, very important thing to do. And I would recommend reading this book. God, there's a shit ton of information in it. How to Have have Impossible Conversations, I believe is what it's called. Excellent. Um, There's just so much information. Mm. Um, It's like, all right, there's six or seven levels to it. And each level's got five different uh, steps or bits of advice. And, oh, shit, I'm after like chapter five and I've forgotten <laughs> what the basic fundamentals are again. I remember uh, the most recent thing I said. Excellent. I'm going to have to get ChatGPT to summarize yeah, the book yeah. for me soon. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Andrew, anything else to add today? I think the, the takeaway from today is that
1: you're, you have the ability to extend a scope of practice you do that by doing good professional development by getting guidance from people who are experts in that field so that if you were to somewhat dabble that you know what you're saying is correct like you know that what you're saying is evidence based and you if you were to reach a point where you don't feel like okay this is now beyond my scope of practice that when you refer that person to a psychologist to a counselor to a dietitian to an ot whatever that what you've said is not going to contradict anything that they are going to say because what you've said is good quality content that's come from a reasonable resource don't be the person that just sees something goes down a a reels rabbit hole and all of a sudden I'm an expert in this particular thing because you're going to do more harm Mm. than good
0: Mm. yeah don't add to like the shit recipe that the next practitioner has to fucking unwind Mm. don't don't be that person yeah lovely right. right. well that might wrap us up for this one Uh, remember to follow us on Instagram if you have any beer recommendations please DM us Mm. Or send us beers. Like <laughs> we accepted beers. She's so nice. It was wonderful. That was um, two episodes of great beers. That was great. It was. Uh, we've got our next couple episodes. We're going to have some guests mm. coming up soon. Uh, so stay tuned for that. All right. See you later. Goodbye.